Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Paul Swale. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. For folks who haven't heard your name before, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm Paul Swale. I'm an independent cloud consultant specializing in serverless technologies on AWS. Yeah, so I've been professional software engineer, architect for about 20 years, self-employed for 10, been focusing specifically on serverless for about four years now, I would say. Yeah. How do you find clients, just out of curiosity? Generally, it's probably majority referrals still, some through my website, or blog posts, or just, yeah, through my website. But yeah, primarily cool. referrals still. Cool. And the reason I invited you to come on the show was because we were, there was a thread in Slack where, I don't remember the original post, but a couple of people were chiming in talking about how they used roadmaps or paid diagnostics or whatever you might want to mm -hmm. call it as sort of foot in the door paid engagements into larger projects. And you were one of the folks who had some success with that. So we wanted to share that with the audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how does it work when someone comes to you, you get a referral? Is it over email? Is it over getting texting you on LinkedIn? How does that happen? And then how does that transition into what are your next steps? And if that transitions into a roadmap or not, or whatever you call it? I have a couple of different types of what we call diagnostic engagements. I will share those. So cool. one, the one is I call it an application roadmap. It's for people who haven't built a an app yet. So it's for greenfield projects. And the second is an architecture review and pro architecture and process review. So that's for brownfield apps. So people, clients have an existing serverless app that they need some help with, whether it's performance or something like that. So there's, those are the kind of two offerings. They both have their own landing page. The two rights that clients discover me. So if they've discovered me from my website, it's usually by the contact form on those on the landing pages. And, but the process for referrals is kind of, for those first clients, I would still, my initials, they would get that initial email via the web form and do some initial qualification, but inevitably assuming it looks okay, I would schedule an initial free 30 minute call. I don't, mm -hmm. I do like to have that before buying, even though it's a kind of a product I service, if it looks mm -hmm. good, just as a, a kind of a second level of filtering, but most of my referrals do come via clients who aren't aware that I offer these services. They just, somebody has said, Paul does, Paul helps is good with serverless stuff mm -hmm. and you should talk to him. And they usually, so that again, I would set up a 30 minute zoom call and mm -hmm. we would get into it and I would uncover at a high level, what their problem is, is it brownfield or greenfield app? That's and then right. usually the end is I offer this service. It's good for these reasons, which we can get into, but that's the process. So I would then follow up that call. They usually say, yeah, that's great. They ask some questions possibly, but then the next step would be, I say at the end of the call, I will hand, I will send you over the details and the initial payment link. So mm -hmm. I, I have a Stripe payment link to take the initial payment to register and then that sort of kicks into the delivery process, which is a separate thing. Okay, cool. So l let me drill into a couple of points there. So how often would you say you have these free 30 minute calls, like in a month, are you having like two, tw 20? Yeah, it's changed a lot over the summer. There were very few and last week there were probably four or five, just in yeah. So it's very, like, it's probably on average a couple, probably one to two a month, I would say on average uh, over the course of the year, but it's very spiky around yeah, the usual early time, the early like February time and, and September time tend to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty common unless you're in a weird industry like CPAs where they have tax days, but it's pretty common for the time from Labor Day to the holidays to be 
pretty good for new business and same like after the new year people are like finally get back to work and they're like oh, i gotta get something done <laughs> yeah time, for, time yeah. to actually do something <laughs> all right cool of the so of these calls let's say averaging let's say two a month how many of them do you filter you're like ah this is actually not a great fit is that common or not common most no almost i would say 75 to, to maybe possibly higher than that it is a good fit and i suggest the roadmap at the end actually it would be higher than that i'd say it's probably about 90 percent that where i would actually suggest at the end of it that they are a good fit for for the roadmap or for but sometimes it doesn't always convert straight away even though like on a in the call sometimes they say yes sometimes then they go away and if i it's hard to understand but occasionally so the actual conversion from the ones who say yes on the call to actually go ahead and pull the button once you've sent them the email with mm -hmm. the payment link is i would say it would drop off a slightly probably to about possibly out of the whole the, the overall total yeah probably be down about 60 percent from that sort of 60 to 70 percent but that's possibly um, my a gap in my closing <laughs> skills there right. sure it's not it's not bad for you get 90 percent of the people like oh, okay this is a good fit so you're positioned well in people's minds that whoever's referring you yeah the people who are just coming across your websites i state the price on the website but not everybody has seen the website the web pages right. so the price is explicitly stated there and i do explicitly state it on the call just to mm. make sure that's totally crystal clear okay and how much of an investment are, is each one of these things so the roughly in us dollars roughly 4k there's slight difference between the two prices but around 4k Okay. And so you get a lot of yeses on the phone, you get verbals, but then maybe they don't come through, but then you get 60% of these that do come through. I just want to speak to what well, I want to speak to the doubters. Cause I know so many people think that road mapping is like impossible or, oh, that's fine for you because you're famous or you have, you're well-known or you're getting a lot of leads or you're in a particular kind of industry where it makes sense. And how, how do you find any kind of pushback? Do you, it doesn't sound like it. If your, your verbals are so high, are people like, why would I pay for that when you're not even going to do anything, but look at my code or whatever? There are not that specific level of pushback. So one client, I possibly pushed them down the wrong path. Well, they had an existing app. They had a really specific, awkward solution already in their head. And they said, okay, we need to do a review first to see if this is the right thing to do. But we and we did the engagement and lots of red flags came up anyway and they effectively afterwards thought okay we really want you to do this specific fix that we've identified even though but there there are occasional ones who where they just want they don't really want the diagnostic and they just wanted a hands-on and i possibly pushed them down the route but that was a learning experience that i wouldn't do again but the, the benefits that i cite on the call like around this is an, an initial engagement so you don't need to you're not committing to a longer project. They often came on to the call with the, their, in their minds, the next step was probably going to be proposal for a big project, yeah. or <laughs> you're going to do this on an hourly basis or something like that. Yeah. They were probably the things in the client's mind when they first got onto the call mm -hmm. with me, that initial, so there is the initial, like I had one last week and they were totally sold on the call. They just, mm -hmm. but they probably, they said, I need to just go to my financial director just to get the, the sign off on that, you, that 4k fee and we'll, we'll close that off. Yeah. I can't think of any other specific you know, on the call objections that, that I've received. Yep. Yeah. It's, I can understand where the, the idea comes from. It's everybody that comes to me knows what they want done already. And it's, they just want to tell me to do it, which kind of mm. sounds like that one with the red flags yeah. that, that you were mentioning. So 
it's interesting that you don't, it doesn't sound like you get very much of that though. Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't think of any ones like other, especially the ones in the Brownfield apps are, are probably more likely to, cause they have a really specific issue. I sort of, I call it architecture review. It's a kind of a catch all for, I'll help you with the high priority issue you're currently experiencing. So they're ask slightly more questions, but whereas the Greenfield have, even though there's so many more decisions to be made, there's no specific pressing pain. It's just, we need to build an app and we want to, so those type of, if they've an existing app, they ask, they tend to ask more questions about the, the deliver, the, what sort of recommendations are my process, what they're getting at the end of it. And what do they feel like they're getting at the end of it? Normally for a roadmap, I would think that the benefit is that it's like having a blueprint for a house. It's going to be, it's going to take less work. It's going to come together more easily probably higher quality. Is, it so, is that kind of how you sell it or you don't even, or they just immediately get the idea pretty much? No. It, yeah. It's, no, I, I don't, they don't immediately get the idea. I think it's a big point that I sell is just the actual relationship aspect between me and them. So it's, it's just hiring someone in a long-term contract that you may not get along well with. It's just a good way of testing the interpersonal relationship between the two of us that right. if you hit me, you can, I like joke, but if you think I'm yeah, I would say it, but then you can, that's for, that's, you don't need to work with me after that, but the actual benefits in terms of the application or in, in terms of their business, it's really that they understand because nature was serverless, it's new for a lot of them. So they just even what they don't know what they don't know. So it's uncovering right. those so that they can put it into their project plan. And I, this is all included in a report, but just like skill gaps in their current team. So I discussed, right. So these are the skill gaps that I've identified and these are online resources that you can use to or courses that your teams can use to upskill. Yeah, just the actual architecture part as well. So what, we don't know how we would put all these different AWS services together. So yeah. how, well, how would you think this would work? So those are questions which they may have lower level developers who could go and do that for them in, in house, but they just don't really know how they would put it all together. Okay. Yeah. So especially for the Brownfield ones, do they generally have an application development team or some kind of engineering team? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's okay. standard. They've usually built it in house and something's gone wrong, whether it's maintainability or performance or something like that. Okay. And those are the kinds of pains that they come to with. They're like, the, the team has tried to deal with the performance issues or whatever, and it's just not going well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They just don't know the best way to approach it. To, like, so yeah, the goal is just to give them a prioritized sequence. Like I would do, this is how I would do it. And these are the side effects or these are, this is roughly how much effort you might want might take you to do it. One question that they always ask, irrespective of what type of, if it's Brownfield or Greenfield is, will you be there to support us after this discovery part? So I try to make that clear at an early stage say, so are we, yes, I will. I do it differently. Sometimes, sometimes I, I do it separate from the report, a proposal for the major project, the main project, how I can help them during the delivery of it. Whether occasionally I say, yeah, I'll actually do part of the implementation, but try not to do as much of that. So more of different levels of oversight, those kind of engagements on an ongoing basis, but just setting that expectation early. Probably I would do that in the actual sales call before the, even the roadmap starts. Oh, okay. So trying to get a sense of how much, how much they're surprised by this 4k thing and then like initial engagement. And then I feel like they must be expecting to spend much more than 4k if they're okay with a 4k <laughs> initial thing that gives them a report and not like a solution. Yeah. I think they, there's two, I think there's two 
they come in with two expectations, I think. Yeah, that firstly, that the project is going to be way more than 4K, way more than probably 10K. That's probably one of, that's one of the notes I'd said. I don't know if I would do a roadmap or a diagnostic if the actual big main project isn't worth more than that. But yeah, the second thing is that I will be there. They came to me with the possibility of spending more money with me. And I guess that you'd asked the earlier question. I didn't think of it at the time, but around the objections is that you're not just doing this and then you're going to clear up after the 4K. You're just going to take that and then you'll have another client and you won't actually help us at all during the delivery of it. So that is a, is something which I would also just set make set that expectation. All right. So if you're closing like 60% of these and that seems like pretty much 100% of them want you to stick around during the implementation to oversee things, keep everything on track, be available as a resource. How many of the 60% actually do turn into that second stage longer term engagement? And what does that engagement look like? A follow that's on? very like, yeah, that's very high. That's probably the highest. I'd say like, I'm trying to even remember one, which didn't in some respect, at least the worst case, it's a one month retainer that only lasts. Like I have, I have, I guess there's two sort of generic types. One is project type engagement, which a custom project or straight on to a support monthly retainer type. So for the project, I'm calling it a project one. It's like your standard three, three, three tiered, three option proposal. Right. So there, if there's a specific timeline possibly in the project, I could say I would there's a phase one of the product delivery, like I being actively involved in like code reviews for like phase one or something like that, or, and then there's like lower levels of just casual Slack support, like just Slack support, but with no, it's totally reactive. That would be the sort of lower level, right. but yeah, that there were, there were a few, which just went straight from the roadmap to a, month, a Slack monthly retainer, which was quite low level, just just asking me questions over Slack once you hit any blocking issues. Cool. And are those, so the three-tier proposal style, are those fixed prices or is that ongoing month to month? They were fixed prices. So yeah, I tried not to put, once it starts going month to month, I tried to treat that as a separate, it doesn't really fit well into unless I'm saying, okay, I'll do that for six months or for a fixed period of time on top of an initial active active work phase where I would say do a development for a certain uh, for a certain amount of time or like another thing like it's a side thing that I've started doing is for new development teams helping them to create candidate profiles for hiring for if they're building a new product and they need more developers for it just mm. active things which actively include my, like that I need to spend time creating something rather than just there so those are the ones which I would put it as priced project options. And I add at the end, if it, I kind of make the judgment call during the roadmap session itself, so it, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. They have enough skills. It's a small app. They just wanted the architecture. There's not really a project here for me. So mm -hmm. I will just give you the monthly support retainer. And sometimes there is, especially if it's a brownfield app and there's a big, if there's a big performance issue, like mm -hmm. I, I may need to get into see their logs and that. So. Those are the ones where I would suggest a, an actual project before a retainer. Got it. Okay. And you said the, the conversion rate is super high. Like you, I think you said you couldn't even remember one that didn't turn from a roadmap into. Yeah. Apart from one, there's one, and this is a benefit for doing it in the first place is like identifying bad fit clients. Yeah. Like this is one which I didn't a review report and they just didn't want to know any of the reports. They just wanted to they were everything really complicated and I just, they actually did want me to do, to quote for further work. And I 
just decide to know that this is we fundamentally disagree on how software should be built here so let's just part ways right. <laughs> so that in itself is that was the only one that i can think which didn't convert to an actual either a routine or a longer project i don't want to put words in your mouth but it seems like this is a really effective way to end up getting not just decent sized clients but good ones like ones that you're going to work well together ones that you believe that you can actually do something yeah yeah, it definitely, and I put it as a, I'm as strict as saying, yeah, for any new clients that I have no relationship with, this is the only way I will do new projects. I have, unless they you come through one of these sort of initial short engagements that I'm never going to quote, I, I'm not to never say never, but that's what my current stance. I can't see a situation where I would ever go straight from sales call to proposal for a big project without this intermediate step, just because of that risk both in it's a side thing which i mentioned which i a reason why i'm trying to get better value pricing from listening to you and alan weiss and blair ends book as well especially yeah. the main thing like just doing the roadmap process itself it's totally you can do it and not care about value pricing but if you do want to value price that custom project you're getting a lot more exposure to or opportunities for asking value related questions during the course of the roadmap. So you go from having one sales call to having the writer proposal to having a sales call, initial sales call, doing the whole, like you have multi, my delivery process it actually involves one, two, three, two, two calls with the client during to possibly at least two or three and a questionnaire process, which is excellent for getting detailed, like number related questions that you can feed into value competitions after. So. Mm. Like it's just a lot more exposure to the, like understanding the client's, the value of fixing this issue or building this app for the client than in the pressured one-off sales call. Yeah, that makes total sense. Let's get into that a little bit. So like someone comes along, you think they're a good fit. They're like, yeah, 4K, that seems reasonable. Let's test drive the relationship. Can you walk the listener through like what happens, how they pay, how do they pay? You said Stripe, okay, so they pay the 4K. And then if someone was going to say, copy you and say, this is a great idea, I'm gonna start doing this, the, the doing the why conversation in one phone call is, I just can't do it. I'd much rather, I'd much rather go like this. What would they set up? Uh, okay, in terms of, I've actually, I'll go quickly through my sort of delivery process. So the seal, well, the sales through the delivery, so at a high level. So the sales, the, the payment link, and then I send out an email uh, once, that's paid. I have a load of email templates. I've got my, in my notes felt, I've got lots of standard operating procedures with email. It's not fully automated, but it's documented with the emails that I send for at the different stages. So I send out the initial quest, a link to a Google doc with a questionnaire. This is something which I learned from Kai Davis. He has a course on road mapping and it's real. I, I didn't always do this. I only learned it about a year ago and added it in, but it's been so valuable. So that's my first, it's an asynchronous sort of data gathering process over, I ask organization related questions then architectural and engineering team questions. And then if there's a really specific question for that they need to focus on, ask questions around that, but it's a way of capturing data asynchronously. And we do it in a Google doc, which we can add, I can add comments to you and I say, we're not having a workshop until you used to give me three, three days between completing this and between now and then the actual workshop date where it gives me time to review, ask further questions and then prepare an agenda for the actual workshop itself. So that just was a real huge win for getting better data from the first time I did it like the client filled it out and it was a gold mine of data for <laughs> like for value pricing it was like i'd asked these questions and it was like wow <laughs> he just wrote this 
Because right. there's questions you could ask related to numbers. You could ask it in a live call and they may not know, or they might, it may not quickly come to them, or they may even say, why are you asking this? But it's easier to do that in the questionnaire. And I do go over it again in the call sometimes in the, the workshop, but just for them to state it there, it just makes, makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Especially if you're awkward asking money related questions like many engineers and introverts are. I love the idea of doing it in a Google doc and not a quite like Google form. That's yeah. really clever. And I was yeah. also going to ask you how you enforce compliance, because I've seen situations where it's like you send over the questionnaire and they just don't do it, but you've got, you're like, I need these answers before we can schedule the workshop. And since they've already paid, they're like, we should do this. Yeah. Yep. So Kai, again, going back to Kai's core, he, he provided the, a lot of the, the email templates, as well as the Google doc itself has this is in its first page. Like it's pretty much, this helps us just why it's a, of a benefit, like carve out a couple of hours of your time and make it clear that it, it's not a quick, it's not just going in and ticking a lot of boxes for 15 minutes. It's probably about two hours of your time, but I, I make that explicit in the initial email and in, in the Google doc itself. And I don't provide them with a link to the, I use, um, Savvy Cal links, for, a separate Savvy Cal link for booking the actual workshop. I do mm -hmm. link to it at the very bottom of the Google doc, but it's very explicitly says, do not use this. Do not book this until this is completely filled out. And, nice. and I haven't, yeah, I've some fill out, everybody completes it. Some add more data than others, but it's complete. And yeah, and I, if it's not complete, I add questions and can you, give me more information on this via comments before, yeah, before finishing my review and starting prepping for the actual workshop. Is one person completing this or are they sharing the link around to multiple uh, So far, every time it's just been one person. They may have had to, they have, uh, it's one person who completes it. They may, they have had to talk to other people in their team, whether that's a business person or an engineer in their team to ask, answer some of the questions. But yeah, it's always, I just share it with one person over Google Docs. Typically, what person is this? Is this like a CTO or is it a founder or is it like a managing director or director? Yeah, it, yeah, it's nearly always the CTO or sometimes it was the head of, like a, it was a VP of engineering, that, that kind of level of, if it was a bigger company, it was a VP of engineering, but it was the person who was hiring me in the first place. Yeah, if it's cool. a startup, it, I've worked with several startups, yeah, it's always been the CTO. Got it. Cool. In the sales situation, do you ever have any issue with why would we hire why would we hire Paul when we have this CTO? Like in other words, so like from a founder level where the founders, we have a CTO for stuff like this. Why would we bring in an outsider or is that never really happen? Not specifically for roadmaps, but I guess in general in sales, yeah, there's, if, it depends really on the nature of the app that they're building. Yeah. Sometimes the CTO, a lot of the leads I get are CTOs who have general software engineering skills, but don't not specifically with serverless, but know the value prop of serverless. Just want to know how to do that. That's for greenfield type apps and for the brownfield apps, it's often, it's often there's a specific technical issue that they have hit. So it's that, that they can't like that. They just, they have generic sort of software developers in house, but they're not like AWS experts or they're not, especially not serverless experts. And yeah, they just want some expert in, 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 in AWS to, to come in and to help them resolve it. Yeah. I remember a particular time where we, I was working with a startup and I was acting CTO and we brought someone in just to ask a really specific question about like image processing at scale and how to architect the servers, like the worker servers. It was, it's such a specific portion of the app that makes sense to me. The serverless feels just out of 
not to go too far down the rabbit hole on the specifics, but I'm wondering, do people come along and you're like, this shouldn't even be done this way. This shouldn't be air quotes serverless or are you you're like, everything should be serverless. No, I guess it's the general, it depends where if the, the apps are ready serverless, like no, they're ready. The clients coming to me are most, the vast majority are already on board with, they're either using serverless already because they've got an existing serverless app, or if it's a greenfield app, they know what that's, they know that's the way I would build it. They've either know the benefits generally of building with serverless, or they know me and they trust that my decision, my, like, you know, my reason for using serverless is that is, I guess it's future-proofing against needing infrastructure engineers, or you can build more with a smaller team. I guess that's the value prop, but they come, they're already sold in the idea generally before they, they get to me. Right. So for folks listening, the, this is, this can be tricky from a positioning standpoint because they, the buyer needs to know the name of the thing that they want. So serverless isn't like, it's almost like a platform specialization in that way. Yeah. Even though it's not a platform, it's more of an approach. Yeah. But I guess AWS is a platform. Yeah, no, I would say it definitely is not, yeah, outside of diagnostics or anything, yeah, positioning is, is, I've gone back and forth on serverless a lot. Like I've had a mm-hmm. recent client, they're non-technical and to them, they just trusted me as like a, a CTO architect sort of guidance and like that my choice of serverless is just an implementation of the detail to them that they don't right. care about and they've just trusted me. So I guess from, as a consultant, that's better for me in terms of they don't need that pre-awareness of serverless and but yeah it's an area which i'm still struggling with in terms of my positioning and i haven't settled anywhere on it if you're getting you're not getting a massive amount of leads but you're getting a good amount of leads and your close rate's pretty good you and if it's i don't know what the percentages are but if most of it is serverless related that's what you're getting referred for yeah then you'll have the same positioning issues as anyone would with a platform specialization which it's great when the platform or the approach is popular when the Mm. approach is no longer popular then you sort of your fortunes rise and fall with the hype cycle around the platform yeah i'm not just popular commoditized i think i guess still is relative even it's been around for a while but it's growing i I think it probably will eventually tend towards commoditization and even if and yeah that's that, I guess that's where my slight unease with my current positioning is around that. Okay. Let's get back to <laughs> that. That was a fun diversion into serverless in positioning. So are you thinking about, so the road mapping stuff, are you pretty much mm-hmm. settled on just these two, or are you imagining other productized services that would perhaps be initial engagement? I actually did launch a couple of weeks ago, a new productized service. It's a lot more specific. It's around serverless testing audit. What I, the, the two. It, it can, this can be standalone in its own way, whereas I would see the other two are, they lead their, their, the customer comes in with the intention of doing a bigger project, whereas this could lead into a bigger project, but it's more of a, just a, it's effectively a big code review of all their tests in its own. It could lead to, there is the option for, I'm thinking about upselling for a month or two, I'll help you like do the over some sort of oversight for a month or so. But yeah, that's the only other new one that, that that's what I, that, that's only about two weeks ago. I think you reviewed my page yeah, on this in the turnaround. So thanks yes. for that. That was great. But yeah, that's the only other one I have at the minute. Okay. So for folks who would maybe want to have this a road mapping engagement in front of any projects that they do, 
any advice, tips and tricks or anything that you would tell them to watch out for? Or um, is it all just roses? <laughs> no, it's no, it's not all roses. But I guess I just went, I did the uh, a straight flip over into making that policy decision to say, right, just rather than I could, I just thought they're quite open-ended, the two brownfield and greenfield ones, they're quite open-ended. They work for there's enough flexibility to work for most types, um, pretty much all the type of projects that I was doing by just forcing my sort of sales process into that's the next step. Whereas, because before the whole jumping from sales call to the big proposal step, that was just, there was just so much, especially if you want to do that, it was just so much pressure on that initial call. And I just making that initial policy decision, not everything is going to go by a, a roadmap. And I find, even though I don't know if it gets much traffic, just having that services page on my website, that specific service details page with, this is what I do, what I offer and having a fixed, a, a published price on it. You can play about with the pricing, but the, just having that kind of made some of the questions easier. Cause I would say about 50% of the calls I do have, they've already seen that. And so they're aware of the price. So you're saving a little. You're doing a bit, a little bit of filtering there for tire kickers, but I think someone else, a friend of mine, who's more in sales, is slightly skeptical about road mapping. His main was, his main, he had two issues. He had said it was firstly, if it's, if the big project itself isn't worth say more than, I think he said 10 K, there's no point in doing a roadmap. I don't know. That will vary for everybody's type of project, but if it's more than, if the roadmap is 50% of the cost of the main project, it's probably less valuable. You saw that as a bad thing? I see, I see it as a good well, thing. Yeah, I guess it's more if it was a smaller percent, he'd say it's, if it's, yeah, I guess it could be. He was in sales, so I don't know. I don't know if he'd sold many of them, but that was what he had said to me. I don't disagree with him. I do think that if someone thinks, if someone in their just perhaps naive view thinks that they're reaching out to you and they don't really know, but they think of oh, in their Subconscious, this will probably be about $7,500 for the whole project. And then it's like 4,000 for a diagnostic. They're just going to disappear. They're going to say, no, mm -hmm. thanks. So I don't think your friend is wrong, but it's like throwing back the small fish. You're just rejecting the small fish before they even get on the hook. Cause they're like, no way I would never, that's like more than we we're planning on spending on the engagement. It's like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. I'm not the right guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then he said he had another objection. Yeah. So the, the other one was, it was more of just that a specific benefit is oversold on roadmaps. So the one that you get the roadmap and it's a, you can like shop that around as a implementation details as a blueprint to give to vendors to implement for you. I think mm -hmm. it's that whole, it's never like what vendor is going to take someone else's plan. They're, everybody's going to want to have their own process. I think it was just that's probably overplayed a bit. I think there, I think it definitely has to be valuable as a standalone to the client itself, but I don't mm -hmm. think it's as, it's never as simple as like, this is pretty much you. I have an implementation plan, but I don't, I doubt like any vendor that they shop that off to would follow that as a, as their guide. Well, certainly I've heard from many people that once you do a roadmap with someone, it's like a 90, 95% chance of the implementation is yours if you want it. Mm -hmm. That you, it just yeah. always goes like that. It, I could see the thing that I've definitely seen though, is sometimes you'll get that roadmap or the architecture, whatever it is. And then the internal team can, as long as they know what to do, they can do it. And they, maybe it's a little bit of oversight from you or not. Maybe it's just so clear and they can just be like, oh, okay, we got this. So yeah. that's not, I don't think that's crazy, especially in your situation where they do have technical people in house. Yeah. 
Yeah. My only other concern, I've no data, this is a kind of maybe unfounded fear, you may tell me, but just because they are fixed price engagements and does that in any way anchor for, for doing a large value price custom project? Like I, I'm still relatively new to value pricing. I haven't done much as I'm saying. It gives me a lot more details. I still pop public if it's in pseudo value price pseudo cost plus price pricing yes. in my so and on a on the journey but bigger once if bigger clients come does that initial say 4k is really low for them say they're a big client with lots of money does that act as some sort of initial low anchor to any big if you've got a huge project where you could possibly charge six figures for options for this 4k initial discovery i don't know that, that, that's something which I've no experience. It's just a, it's in the back of my mind. Part of the problem with productized services in general, in fact, the big downside of productized services is that you probably are leaving money on the table. But in exchange, like you could have charged more, but the benefit that you get usually outweighs the downside. If you're not super into sales, you don't really want to get better at sales. You don't really care about it because it just makes the sales process much easier as you've described along the way here. Like the sales process is very easy. It's you mm. took all the pressure off of that phone call. The, the question, it's a separate question about the longer term low anchoring. And I, I think there probably that possibility certainly exists in my mind. There's this possibility that, you know, if the client comes along and they're thinking this is a million dollar project and you're like, let's get started for 4,000. And then the, that's going to be, that's leaving just tons of money on the table and probably <laughs> is anchoring them low. The flip side is maybe they don't, maybe they have some sense that this is going to be roughly the cost of a Mercedes or something like they have, it's based on nothing. They just, they just know what the value is to them. Subconsciously, they know that this is a really big problem and they're potentially losing a lot of money because of this problem. So they have this weird gut instinct that's sitting there. And when they are presented with a price, they will, it will automatically, their gut instinct, that subconscious magnitude of the pain times their buying power is going to react in a yes, no, or maybe to a price, even though they couldn't mm -hmm. name a price. If you said, how much is it worth? It'd be like, I don't know. But if you said it's going to be a million dollars, they'd immediately be like, no, that's way too much. And mm -hmm. it's not a question of how much work it would be for you. It's them reacting to the combination of their buying power and the desire, level of desire or the magnitude of the pain. So could a $4,000 initial engagement affect that gut instinct? Probably yes. So how would I deal with that? So there's a, the obvious thing would be to charge $40,000 the roadmap, and then you'd be doing, but you'd need to attract people who think that their implementation, I usually see it as like 10X. So like the roadmap should be like a 10th of what the implementation mm -hmm. probably will be. This is a huge amount of guesswork, but you'll automatically filter our clients Clients who get through your filter will be ones that are, that look like that. So the, so you'd probably maybe get fewer leads, but the ones that you got would be much more profitable or, or might be more work too. But, but, I, but here's, but in reality, in practice, I think what would happen is if you charged 4k for the initial roadmap in the project, you're looking at it and you're like, this is a million dollar project. You'd probably, it, you'd probably phase it anyway. So. Yeah. The first phase mm. could be 40 grand and then that'll mm. get us to a particular point. And then the next phase would be maybe another 40 or something. But I just, I don't really know. Cause what you do if, for development, I would definitely say this for sure. Like you mm -hmm. do MVP, get proof of concept done, come back for build on the second round of nice to have features, 
and that project can be bigger than the first project and they could keep you keep you could keep working on that in phases for a long time if you wanted to for something more like this it feels more architectural i, I don't know you tell me i don't know how ongoing it would really be it feels like it would be less ongoing than application development but uh, yeah there may be like yeah it could be yeah, there may be phases of the development just coming into new architecture at the start of each phase or just a high level at the start and for big new features if they're adding. But yeah, right. it's, it would, yeah, it tends to be, it, it would, if I'm not doing, sometimes they do a very initial development for about two or three weeks just to mm -hmm. get practice standards in place. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's, but most of the ongoing stuff would be, if they built in a big new feature, it would be, we would have those scheduled as like phase at the start of a phase, like yeah. doing a design, architecture design workshops right. yeah it's like it's like it's like a house right like you you need the architect to come in for the thing to get built in the first place if you want it to be livable and good and all of that and then if you're going to put a big addition on then you might want the architect back to or a structural engineer at least and say okay like how are we going to do this so it doesn't wreck the existing investment yeah that kind of makes sense to me so i don't know so phase wise it's it is hard to say but there probably is some it probably is some connection between that gut instinct thing that I was describing, that sort of desire times money that's in their gut, in their lizard brain. And when they hear 4,000, it's going to, it's going to pull that in a direction, maybe up or down. It's difficult to say if that price is too, it's obviously not too high. So you could, and this is something I, I'm so saying it kiddingly, but you can do it. Like every time you sell one increase the price by 65% and just <laughs> see when people start freaking out when yeah. you say, oh, it's 14,500 for the initial rope. Like, what? Then you know that you're getting up to, you're getting too high. Like you're exceeding what they think it's worth for that lizard brain gut instinct that they have floating around yeah. in there. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think once I get, I have been increasing it nowhere near at that percentage level mm -hmm. gradually over time, but yeah, probably just don't have enough lead flow just to make, to know is, is it the price that's the issue? Once I had a, hoping to get a higher lead flow, then that make that easier to increase the prices. Right. Yeah. If you wanted to experiment with it, you could maybe have, I don't remember, obviously I've been on your website, but I don't remember if you have a paid call, just like a. Yeah, like a I do. I do. It's mm -hmm. a paid call. It, it, I've had probably only about four ever on it and it's i don't know if it i also have a free call which is like for sales and it just gets confuses things yeah like yeah. for somebody who's booked my free call and i, I know even though I've, like that they're just wanting to hit me up with consulting questions on that and it, it's <laughs> yeah. i actually have ones tomorrow and i'm just going to do it just because for but yeah i'm it's just it's just in a weird place i don't really know with the free the pay call yeah i could see that i definitely can see that okay i guess the thing to say would be increase the lead flow increase the price and see where the conversion starts to drop off like the deal your deal closing percentage starts to drop mm -hmm. off and it's like okay because you could if you were more if you were super famous for serverless like you had a really successful book or something you're speaking at conferences you in theory you could attract clients for whom this is way more important like big i don't know starbucks or something that's just got some development team that's worked themselves into a corner or they can't figure their way out of it where you could come along and deliver a massive amount of value because downstream it's going to 
touch millions of people. So it would, it's automatically going to be worth more. So the desire will be higher. The buying power mm -hmm. will be higher, but the mm -hmm. competition will be higher too, because since they can afford probably anyone that they might go to, I don't know, Deloitte or somebody or computer associates or whatever they're called now, they might go to like big guns because nobody wants to take the risk of hiring a solo person who didn't write the book or whatever you might, I would probably just, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I would just continue to try to increase awareness of what you do in the market, get more leads. You're doing pretty, I talk to people that get two leads a year. So a couple a month, isn't that bad especially when your conversions are so high, maybe 5,000, 6,000, start raising the price and see where people start to balk. And that just means that the people you're attracting are probably planning to spend 60 grand or in their gut, they think, ah, it'll probably be like 60 grand. And then, and if they hear four or six or something like, yeah, that's, that's just like a small chunk of what we're planning mm -hmm. to spend anyway. So yeah, whatever. Yeah. 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 My, my longer term goal is just, effect, yeah, just to get clients that have bigger spending power. And yeah, so this is, that would be, that's a natural sort of fallout of it. I know we have to wrap up, but there's a question I skipped over. Mm -hmm. How long does one of these things take you? So you're charging right now the equivalent of $4,000 US. Yeah. How much time does it take you after you get past the workshop and get into it, get your hands as dirty as they're going to get? How many hours does it take across the course of how many weeks to I guess the cal it depends on the client's availability, but roughly calendar and calendar time, it's probably about three weeks plus usually from at that from initial sort of the from the payment to the final Q and A session where we so in between times, yeah, it's obviously not I'm not full time doing that the whole time. So the the back and forth that I I probably spend about an hour, no, about 30 minutes customizing a questionnaire with the questions and then probably another couple of hours. Yeah. Let me see. So it's, I'd say probably about 10 to 20 hours altogether, I would mm -hmm. say uh, in doing writing, either creating or answering the, or responding to the questionnaire or writing up the report. So mm -hmm. I would say it's probably about 10, no, yeah, probably 10 hours. I would say that's doing that. And then yeah, probably about three or four hours on calls, roughly 15 hours altogether. Yeah, that's pretty average. You get like 10 to 20 hours across the course of anywhere from two to six weeks. That's like a real good productized service mm. scope or like size. Yeah. Just the, yeah. The only other tip is just to get to optimize it just the very first time, first few times you go through it, write down everything, the steps that you do and your emails that you send, write them generically. And then, cause that was so good for subsequent ones, just having those email templates that it can just send at the different stages. Yeah. And I haven't seen Kai's course on this, but I've heard good things and he's amazing. Yep. That might be a good step for people to take too. Yeah, I'll definitely recommend that. Yeah. He definitely knows his stuff. Cool. All right. This has been great. So where can people go to find out more about you? Maybe they know someone who needs a serverless expert. Maybe they want to see your sales pages and see if, if there's any inspiration there for them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm at Paul Sweal, S-W-A-I-L on Twitter. And my website is serverlessfirst.com. And if you go to slash services, that's where all my sort of productized services, including the roadmap, if you want to dig into the details of those there. So yeah. Cool. All right, Paul, thanks for coming. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. 
Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.